filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So I have to uh, shout out one of our listeners uh, today. He, uh, he he brought something to my attention today, which uh, nerd. Yeah, yeah. Wait, but just to but be bear clear, with me. Adam is the nerd it's, in this statement. <laughs> it's not Jimmy who's the nerd. Jimmy R at nn underscore Gooner um, pointed out today that I am apparently in FIFA seventeen as a scout for DC United. Not my face or my likeness, just my name appears on emails within the game, generated by the game for users. It's totally fictional, and it's absolutely nothing. But I'm still kind of excited by it. I think it's kind of neat. I don't know if, fa- if you're listening to this and you're with EA. Hi. Thanks for the shout-out. To be fair, I am. I agree with Adam. It's completely improbable that it is a randomly generated who's a what's it. It's got to be somebody intentionally did that. Yeah, most likely. Um, I know. I don't know from FIFA. I know a football manager. Everyone that contributes ratings gets like included as a potential name that could come up from your club's academy. Um, and uh, I think, I think a couple of people we've had on have actually had that happen um, eventually. Um, yeah. But this is the first I've ever heard of FIFA incorporating yeah. anything local at all um and that is assuming like ben said that this isn't just a random name generator or there's an adam taylor that in in england somewhere or in oregon uh or washington state that they just said hey let's name all the scouts after him and (laughs) we're gonna name him after my buddy from the bar yeah exactly um but but it, if it is real, that's pretty cool, and I'm excited by it. Even the the possibility, and I'm flattering myself. And dear God, you guys save me! Hey hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am your host, Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from BlackandRedUnited.com, where we write about DC United and a whole lot more. Uh, tonight we are talking about DC United season ending, well, regular season ending loss in Orlando. We are talking about this Thursday night's playoff game, and we're talking about something a little special right off the top, and we will get to that in just a minute. Before we do, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I thought I was not going to have time to make a margarita, but then I actually did have time to do it, so I made myself a, a traditional margarita. I did kind of toy with the idea of adding some kind of non-traditional ingredient, but I did not have time to get into that. Um, and so I made a standard margarita with Espelon Reposado, um, but it's like a, it's a double. So it's in a pint glass. It's not in a, it's not a small margarita. It's a, a large margarita. Did you salt the rim? Uh, no, I didn't have time for that either. Okay, there was that's just fair. enough time to, to do a margarita. There was like a moment of like, am I just opening a beer? Or do I have time to cut a lime? I'm cutting a lime. <laughs> uh, I went pretty simple. Um, between the the FIFA news and uh, 
news. I say news like it's an actual thing. Um, it's not between Major that and story. a uh, <laughs> in we broke real news on the site today. We we did, and we will talk about that in just a minute, Ben. Between whatever that is, um, flattering myself and uh, an altercation I had riding my bike home tonight with a driver who was very mean and enjoys punching down. Uh, between those things and uh, the playoffs, I decided just to say, screw it and celebrate with uh, my special occasion drink, which is Michter's limited release barrel strength rye. And I'm having that and it's really, really helping. It is. It's a good thing. Good. Ben, what are you drinking? Well, unlike Jason, I was able to very, very slightly fancify my margarita uh, before coming up to a uh, podcast tonight. Um, it is a cranberry margarita because I was able to just throw in a splash of cranberry juice uh, while I was making my margarita. So I also had 100% agave uh, tequila because really, people, the best thing you can do for your margaritas is not buy shitty Cuervo. Buy 100% agave tequila. Yes, it's a little more expensive, but it is so much better. This is the best thing Christy and I, my wife, learned on our honeymoon is that basically Jose Cuervo is 60 to 70% vodka and just a little bit of actual blue agave tequila. Just buy 100% agave tequila. It's worth it. If the Anyways. people from Jose Cuervo would like to sponsor us, please contact us. Uh, I mean, yes, Jose has we, 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 will, we, will, we will shill your shitty, vod- your shitty tequila if ben you pay will us. Stop, ben will stop criticizing your product and start I saying will. it's good. Or we will just talk about the, very, the, the 100% agave products that I'm sure Cuervo oh, yeah, makes. Oh, yeah, there's another company also. Yes, could, also oh, yeah, other yeah. companies. If you want us to keep mocking Cuervo's crappy products, we are happy to do that in the name of building up yours. We are for yours. sale, okay? <laughs> yeah. We are for absolutely very, for sale. We are, super, we are super easy. Seriously, you, you put our game in us. text, and we will pimp your video game at the beginning of our podcast, That's like we did too. for FIFA. Yeah, FIFA's getting that filibuster bump tonight. But yeah, so I uh, just had <laughs> yeah, sports, people. this little company you, you might not have heard of. But yes, I had I have 100% agave tequila, uh, lime juice, and just some cranberry juice, and it is quite delicious. So I'm very, sli- very, very slightly more fancy than Jason because I had very, very slightly more time. Okay, then. My my fancification was possibly going to be um, something with like like orange juice or orangina or something like that, but I drank all the orange juice this morning. Uh. <laughs> So I had to go with cranberry juice. Why did you drink all of Jason's orange juice? Uh, because screw Maryland. I'm pretty impressed that you got up here and did that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty magical. Anyway, as reported first on blackandredunited.com, the last roadblock to the Buzzard Point Stadium zoning hearing looks to have been removed tonight. Uh, as we record on Monday night, um, Ackridge and some other developers who own land south of the stadium site in Buzzard Point had asked for some changes and announced their intent to oppose uh, DC United zoning reclassification, their their planned unit development, PUD. I'm not going to get into the weeds on, on the process. But they were going to oppose the 
redesignation DC United needed to move forward with the stadium unless their changes were imposed on DC United. Tonight, a uh, filing from DC United's uh, lawyers indicate that they have reached an agreement with Ackridge and the other landowners in the area, the other developers in particular, in the area. And uh, a statement that we got, that Stephen Streff got from, uh, I think it was Ackridge, or at least yes, a representative. A representative of Ackridge, yes. Yeah, said that if if the plans they saw are reflected in the updated uh, proposal from DC United, uh, which is still forthcoming, we haven't seen it yet, then they will see no reason to testify against it at the, the hearing. Yeah, they'll see, they'll see no reason to even attend. Yeah. Ben, this is a big deal, and you helped break it. I did. I... I, I uh... This kind of corporate research is part of my actual day job, and so digging into this stuff is delightful and fun for me. And uh, yeah, it's, it is a big deal. Uh, it removes the last potential major roadblock to DC United Stadium. Uh, as long as this zoning commission hearing goes well, which now it probably will, uh, there's nothing in the way of DC United putting shovels in the ground in January. Yeah, there are still some local residents who uh, want some other things Nimbies. ironed out. The, the, well, some of them seem to be uh, rather NIMBY. Um, some, of the, some of them want the transportation plan, like the ANC, uh, the resolution they adopted. This is the Area Neighborhood Commission, uh, kind of the most hyper-local form of government. ANC 6D, to be precise. Yeah, they, they adopted a resolution at their last meeting where Stephen Streff was the media in attendance. Um, they adopted a, revo- a resolution saying that they would oppose the PUD if the transportation plan is not detailed. And there were some other but, concerns that they listed, but they, they... But they don't actually oppose the stadium. They just correct. oppose ancillary things around the stadium. Correct. They they want to make sure the stadium is done correctly, not done well, poorly. Well, cor- correctly as they see right. correctly, sure. being, not as other people see correctly being sure uh they want to make sure traffic is mitigated basically that's their biggest concern because they live in dc and if you live in dc you get religion on traffic um even though i live in dc and i still want to see more things built anyway uh the biggest concerns for Ackridge and the other landowners on this one seem to be first street going through the site which the team had added but it wasn't particularly wide or uh I guess, super friendly, and they wanted it to be prettier and wider and carry more traffic. They wanted retail on the east side of the stadium, uh, like, I think the Verizon Center, where Chipotle and Green Turtle and uh, the gym, Vita Fitness, uh, are how they're kind of built into the arena. That's what Ackridge was asking for on the east side of the stadium. Um, and then they had some concerns about the exterior of the south end of the stadium looking really inhospitable to their neighbors, which would be a building Ackridge is going to build there. So we don't know what the changes are. I would imagine that they involve some combination or some array of of those items. Uh, and keep, stay tuned here and at blackandredunited.com because we will have more as soon as it's available. Jason, you want to talk about soccer now? I guess. Okay. Talk about whatever, man. You're the host. Dude, don't give me that kind of license. I mean, I we will. could talk about we could talk about goats. 
keep I I've, I've, I've been I've been researching uh various hikes in Virginia because Virginia doesn't have a central website that lists all the hikes available in Virginia and there is one hike that I've researched that is that starts on a berry farm and the berry farm also has goats. So I was just going to point out to Adam that when he says, don't give me that kind of license, he should realize that, that Ben and I are in position to ruin whatever he's going to do. Like I just did. It's true. I was going to go on about AT&T and Time Warner, but instead I will say that DC United sent out an almost completely changed side, resting basically all the starters. And, uh, as a result, got run out of Camping World Stadium on Sunday. Four to two decision day losers to Orlando City SC. Ben Olsen trolling the world who thought he was going to go all in for home field advantage in the playoffs. He he said, nope, I'm going to arrest everyone. And he got home field anyway. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Jason, what did you make of this starting 11 when it came out? Uh, I mean, I was certainly surprised. Uh, people can go on the site and see the uh, projected lineup that I put in a post that I wrote a couple hours before the game, and it was the normal starting lineup. It was not the lineup that we saw. Um, I understand the idea of resting players knowing that you had to play midweek, um, but I do think there there it was definitely a risk. There was a real risk there. Um, banking on the revolution who are erratic as all hell um, to do their job um, against uh, the impact. Fortunately, and I don't know if we, I mean, maybe Ben Olsen has a mole in the impact organization and found out that they were also going to arrest a bunch of guys. Um, His name is Didier Drogba. (laughs) uh, That that was a a clever piece of work then. Um, But yeah, uh, fortunately, the impact also changed a bunch of guys out. Uh, went to New England and, and lost by three, could have lost by probably five or six. Um, the Revs actually had enough chances to do like half of their their end of the bargain to get the Union out of the playoffs. It's just that the Union did not themselves get blown out by six or so. Um, but they could have. I didn't see that game. I just know that the Re- the Revs at least could have answered their half um, somehow, which is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, the, the, the DC lineup... Um, I was not expecting that much uh, out of the group because of the issues that were inherent with that group. Um, when you look at the central midfield, you see uh, Buescher and Colin Martin with Rob Vincent. There's no ball winner in there. Um, Vincent is a defensive midfielder, but he doesn't win a lot of the ball back. Um, he clogs up passing lanes and gets in the way, but he's not somebody that gets DC United back into possession that often. Um Buescher, I thought, had an excellent game, um, but when you partner him and Colin Martin, you're not giving the sole defensive midfielder in that setup a, a lot of support when United doesn't have the ball. Um, yeah, Buescher was fantastic, and he he did his share of ball winning in this one. He yeah. he was we, probably United's well, man actually, of the match. He had but, four tackles in the end. We should probably talk about him on his own after this. Yeah, and um, he's on my list to talk about, but he's not Jared Jeffrey. Right. Um, and it's not, you know, that's not what he's good at. So um, the group, I think Olsen said a- after the game that in some ways the group was set up to fail. And, and I think that's kind of fair um, when Kofi Opare hasn't played in months and he gets he and Jalen Robinson have to play behind a midfield that doesn't really do much tracking against a team that was sending runners from midfield over and over again. 
um, you're going to have problems. Uh, and United had problems. Uh, Sean Franklin looked pretty rusty. Um, I think uh, even on uh, yeah, there's, remember- there's probably there's probably no chance that he starts over Nick DeLeon midweek. I don't yeah, know about I think, that. I just I just think Franklin looked rusty for this game, and maybe the fact that the game was going poorly sort of he sort of turned off a little bit. Veterans sometimes realize that it's sort of a a protective measure when you're a veteran, where the game is going poorly, but you don't want to let it ruin your morale, and you kind of shut off a little bit, and so you're not you're never going to reach the heights that you could. Um, you can't fight through it and and become end up with a good game at the end of it but you can at least sort of firewall yourself from being like wow i sucked that game and and letting it affect you for the future and i feel like that happened with franklin a little bit um i'm not uh i I feel like franklin is going to start against montreal um um especially since he played 45 minutes and then got subbed out um that sub was not a you're playing badly we're pulling you move it was a um and Olsen's done this a few times this year where he's he's got two players that he doesn't want playing more than 45 minutes, so he has them split the game. And that's how we ended up with Rob Vincent playing right back, which I, he's yeah. got no familiarity with the position. So I think he did actually come up with a few blocks and tackles, but they were all things where he could have solved the, the problem earlier and not had to come up with a block or tackle. He got hit in the face with a shot. Um, also, it makes me a little sad that Rob Vincent played so much because I, I kind of want him to – even though he's not, you wouldn't think he's better than Marcelo. I kind of want him to start over Marcelo. Well, at this point, you're talking about him or Jared Jeffrey. Um, if, yeah, because Marcelo is going to be in there. Yeah, if Acosta and Marcelo start, the third role is between Jeffrey and Vincent more than it is Buescher. Well, yeah, but um, I kind of want, I kind of want to keep it the same. I kind of want to keep it uh, Acosta, Jeffrey, and Vincent, and not have. Uh, I don't be sure or I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen at this point, but I, I don't think you should want that is what I'm trying I to think say. It's, I think it's been OK. Um, it's been OK, but Marcelo is definitely the better player. Um, we kind of have forgotten. I mean, a yeah, bit. but he's, he's coming back from injury. And I know I mean, it's the same thing as uh, Franklin, basically. So I'm just a, a worry wart Luddite. So don't worry about me. <laughs> well, if uh, we, to be clear, if anyone's a Luddite here, it's Jason. Well, that's true. I guess. Um, <laughs> again, I have, this is the second time this has come up where I did not mention technology at all, negative or positive, And I've been accused of being a Luddite anyway. So thank I mean, you. I, You've earned uh, it. It's, it's, I mean, I run, uh, I, I run, I run Linux, so I'm definitely not the Luddite here. That's true. I was going to say, uh, something about Travis Wara, um, on, I think maybe the third goal. no. Yeah, maybe the third goal. Even though it was a good finish from Higita, I think if his if he's one step further away from the post, he makes the save. Um, but at that, you know, I don't want to throw him under the bus too much because there was a lot going on in front of him that wasn't very good. We saw um, on the first goal. The first goal kind of sums it up for me: the midfield issue and the center back issue because. Kevin Molino ends up just running straight forward to tap the ball in. He's never picked up. No one gets in his way. No one makes him run around them or or win a physical battle to get to the spot. It's just a man running and kicking a ball into a goal. Like, if DC United's players had vaporized, Molino wouldn't have had to change his behavior at all, um, which well, is never think, a good – go ahead. I think I think War is kind of like Joe Willis was in – especially 14. Just like he's pretty good, but he's definitely – got some problems and he's like, people like to think he's really good, but he's definitely, 
not anywhere near Bill Hameen. And it also helps to get a rhythm. And he yeah. hasn't played in and quite he's a way, while. Yeah, and yeah, he's way out of rhythm because he hasn't been playing in D.C. or in Richmond. So, which, yeah. Which kind of, I mean, now that now that that's in my mind, it kind of, the whole lineup kind of suffers from that a little bit because yeah. this is a weird lineup. Um, it's the same formation and idea, but it's the, the players are not used to being a group together. And that's why it's a little hard to take too much from this game because it was like, these yeah, guys there were are some moments where There were some moments where you'd see... Orlando down on one end doing something intricate and players interchanging. And then down at the other end, you could just tell Iguananike and uh, Kamara and Nagel had just never played together, essentially. Yeah. Like they might have trained together a few times, and, but and it, Ka- Kamara's just coming back from yeah. injury. Martin's just coming back from injury. Opare is just coming back from injury. This, mm-hmm. is, this is a group of guys that just needed to build some fitness. Right. Uh, in large part, and that's what this game was. And, and the funny thing is, like, if not for a bad offside call, United gets a sucker punch in right, like, literally with almost the last touch of the, the half. And uh, Orlando half City is yeah. Orlando City is not the kind of team that mentally shows resilience in those situations. Um, so if if the flag doesn't come up on Lamar Nagel, and and the flag definitely should not have come up on Lamar Nagel. I would I would have kind of thought United was going to find their way into a victory in spite of the lineup. Um but that said, you know, take away you know the call as it was, Orlando certainly deserved to win 4-2. Um a- after halftime they instead of buckling or coasting, they ended up actually ramping their pressure up. And they had their best spell of the game at 3-1. Um there was a stretch after they scored their goal where they were all over United. Yeah. So let's look at uh, the individual players. And in this game really matters only in the extent, I think, or only to the extent that players made their cases for inclusion in playoff game day, 18 man rosters. And so who let's look at who helped their case. We mentioned Julian Buescher or Julian Buescher earlier. And I think he's got to be the the top name on this list. Ben. I, I don't know what a Julian Buescher is. That's it's a, his name is German. The J is a soft J in German, which is funny because we say German. Anyway, <laughs> Buescher had himself a game. Yes, he definitely had himself a very good game. He's I I feel at this point he's definitely the first central midfielder off of the bench. Uh, if DC United needs an attacking sub, uh, he did himself a a a good benefit, and so. Yeah, he's going to help himself for this year in the playoffs, and he's going to help himself uh, down the road, especially next year when Marcelo is a year older and DC United is going to have to, he's probably not an everyday starter, and DC United has to switch up what they do. Um, I had another person to talk about, and now it has completely left my brain. So please, someone else save me. Uh, I, I would note that. I feel like what we saw out of Buescher is one. I think we've seen that his best role at this point would be the Acosta role. Uh, the, yeah, the new Acosta uh, role, not the Acosta yeah, yeah, second yeah. forward role. Um, that he, that but, they tried to put Buescher yes. in early in the season, and uh. Uh-uh. Um, but but going into the playoffs, I mean, down the road, um, you know. At some point, because Buescher and Acosta are so young, and I'm not talking about like this offseason, you know, we might be talking about 2019 or 2020. One of those players won't be here, whether it's 
a trade because they're both kind of, you know, it's two guys playing one spot. You can't, unless you are an extravagantly talented team all over the field, which MLS prevents with its rules, you can't field these two guys together and expect to win a ton of games. You can field them in certain situations um, as a, as a starting, as a starting pair. However, in the playoffs, United is probably going to go into a second leg looking for a goal. Um, Mm -hmm. It stands to reason, especially since they are probably going to be on the road in those second legs. Um, Or they might find themselves in the first leg, you know, having conceded an away goal. Maybe it's 1-1 at halftime and you realize that this is the moment you have to get more goals and you have to take the risk of chasing more goals. We might see Buescher come in uh, for Vincent or Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. And partner Acosta and, and be in front of uh, Marcelo at that point, because what Buescher can do, it's a little different from Acosta's mindset, is that he opens the field up a lot. Um, Acosta opens the field up vertically. Buescher spreads the play out a little bit more. Um, the other thing that was important, I think, from this game that adds to uh, his use in the playoffs is his ability to make defenders nervous and confused right at the edge of the box. We saw early in the game within the first minute, he had won a foul. Um, A few minutes after that, he won a second foul. He won a corner kick Um, later in the game. He, he was one on four and he ended up finding uh, Igbon and Ike for the the goal. Um, All of those things happened right on the edge of the box. And it was all, he's not faking past defenders. Like Acosta will not make a guy and make him look like a fool and, and he'll fall down and everyone laughs and has a great time. Buescher just gets guys to freeze long enough for him to have a window to pass. Um, it's a different approach to the same end game. Um, the idea isn't, you know, Buescher won't humiliate the defender, which is what, you know, ultimately is going to, um, people are going to remember those moments uh, from Acosta. But the object at the end is still to set up a teammate to go to goal. And Buescher is like, um, to go back to football manager uh, for a second, there's a flair category. Um, and it doesn't make your player better. It just makes him more likely to do some some crazy stuff. And so you might have a guy with low flair and he just like boringly gets assists. And maybe that's Buescher's game a little more is the the assist where the the pass is very good and he's very smart and everything. But it didn't have that flash uh, with it, whereas Acosta, we know, is going to provide that uh, that extra little bit of sizzle at the end. Um, and it's it's a nice change of pace to have. Um, I think we could also see um, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, Acosta's penchant for picking up cards could see Buescher subbing in for yeah. him directly. Yeah. Um, especially if United is already in the lead. So you're getting fresh legs in central midfield and getting a guy who doesn't have a yellow. Um, because I feel like at this point, teams are going to know full well that if they go hard on Acosta and the foul doesn't get called right away, that Acosta will take it upon himself to go hunt for revenge immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a weird thing with Acosta. If the foul gets called, he seems fine. It's like, okay, I'm, well, I'm if not it's appropriately carded. Right. If everything is handled as it should be, but we know this is MLS. We know that he is going to get chopped down and it's not going to be handled correctly sometime in this playoffs. It could, if United yeah. only plays one game in the playoffs, we know it's going to happen. It's probably going to happen in the first 20 minutes of uh, Thursday's game. Um, and having somebody to bring in where you don't really lose that creative element in central midfield. Um, while still being able to protect a player from getting himself sent off. That means a lot. A lot of teams don't have that option. I mean, the big story going into this week was FC Dallas uh, losing Moro Diaz and having to change formations as a result. 
um, because they don't have a natural number 10. It's hard to carry a natural number 10 uh, on your roster if he can't do anything else. Um, and, and a lot of number 10s are really only good at that one thing. Um, and in United's case, they have the luxury where Buescher doesn't necessarily have to be fielded as the number 10. He can partner Acosta and be more of the number eight in, in this setup. Um, but when they need to bring Acosta out, they don't have to say, well, we have to change our approach. We have to go with two number eights and a six, and there's no playmaker out there. We just send Buescher in and tell him, okay, this time you're the playmaker. And maybe if he's coming in for Vincent or Jeffrey, it's say, okay, you're the, you're the linking midfielder. You're the eight now. Um, that's a great luxury to have, and it's good to see him getting more time. And it really, if this game means anything going forward, it's that Buescher established himself as a player who's ready to, to step up higher, even, even to a higher level than the rest of his teammates. I mean, this was a game where yeah. uh, young players tend to play up or down to what's going on around them a lot. And if Buescher had played down to DC United on the day, then it's probably not 4-2. It's probably 4-1 or 4 nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas in this game, he looked around and saw, you know, it wasn't going well, and he tried to drag the team along. He he stepped out in front and and led by example by still being a major factor in the game. I mean, he had an excellent game, like statistically, the eyeball test, everything. Like he had in a losing cause a wonderful performance. Yeah, a couple other guys. Uh, well, I'm most interested in your guys' opinions on Igbo in this one. Kennedy Iguanike, he had a goal, but when he wasn't scoring that goal, he mostly looked like he had the Benny Hill theme stuck in his head and he was just playing to that. The number of bad touches and weird dribbling decisions, like just dribbling into two guys and hoping the ball would bounce through. Please don't do that anymore, Ben. <laughs> I don't think that was even the Benny Hill music. That was just some noise. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see. Anyway. Ben, just to get you talking instead of doing whatever the hell that was, um, what did you think of Iguananike's game? I mean, yeah, I mean, because the goal was fantastic. Let's yes, let's the goal was great, but I mean, yeah, it was great, but I mean, he's making at least according to the MLS Players Union, which is notoriously unreliable. He's making nine hundred thousand dollars this year, and if we want to bring him back next year, I would maybe give him 150, maybe 200 at the most. And I don't know if he'll accept that. And if he doesn't, fine, go away. He might benefit from the fact that we we already, um, we know that Sabrio's going to end up with Saprisa. That's like a, we don't have confirmation. That's not as breaking news. That's just, it's been widely reported. Yeah, that's the world. That's going to happen as soon as his contract ends here. Yeah, that's one of the world's worst kept secrets at this point. Um, Alhaji Kamara is young, and we don't know exactly. I mean, we still have barely seen the guy play, so we don't really know what he's capable right, of. Right, but I mean... Iguan Anike might benefit just from... He might get a higher offer than we think he should just from the sheer fact of the context that he's in. True, I'm not saying that... I think their price tag is right. I'm just saying he might stumble into a little more. Yeah, but there's also the fact that DC United typically does well in the draft, and they could find somebody in the draft. And, I mean, I think also the new-ish DC United that can pay a little more money to get um, Lucho Acosta might also be able to find somebody in MLS or outside of MLS at that same kind of price point that's a better striker than Kennedy Igbonanike as well. I 
I did enjoy that his goal was an immediate rejoinder to uh, my own use of Twitter, uh, like within yeah. 15 <laughs> seconds. Um, I, for, for people that didn't see it, I tweeted out something that said that I was really hoping in this game that he would find some sort of positive uh, to take away as a confidence boost, whether it was a, a goal or an assist or a, a good dribbling move or just something. And it had not happened. And then about 15 seconds later, he smashed the ball in the back of the net, um, which was, uh, I mean, what else can you do? I, I, I was laughing pretty hard at that point. <laughs> that seems to be uh, his MLS career writ small right there. As soon as he's completely written off, he, he, he goes and does something. Well, like, okay. You know, with Chicago, he did end up. I think he ended up getting to six goals on the season, and five of the he had five when he came over. It's either five and he had four when he came over, or or six and he had five. Um, he wasn't that bad with the fire. It's just that the fire themselves were so terrible that it, you know it's hard to tell if anyone's any good. Um, but yeah, since he came here, he really it just hasn't worked. Um, I can see the positives: um, his strength, his speed. Um, those things add something for United, but um, it it has he has come in late in games and and helped get the job done. Yeah, uh, uh, but in, in he, the same he way hasn't that, really like, been goal rookie, dangerous other than this one play. Right, you know, in the same way that a like rookie winger might get that job from Ben Olsen, um mm-hmm. in a typical season, it might be like, well, we'll, we'll bring him in to, to finish things out. Um, but you're not paying a a premium on that. And that's the the issue he might run into in the off season. Yeah. Meanwhile, Hopefully the goal Sabario, means something. As speaking of guys that could have used a goal. Yeah. Meanwhile, Alvaro Saparillo has basically concrete boots on and still manages to score goals. Uh, Almost at a, immediately. At a ridiculous clip for a substitute. Like when he's a substitute, he's just he comes on and he's as likely as not to score a goal. Uh, but when he starts, he's probably not going to score. It's this. It's really weird. The fewer minutes you give him, the more likely he is to score. Um, uh, in and the, I think in this he, case, definitely a um, a bizarre Jedi mind trick goal. Yes. Um, in that that the goal should never happen. I, I don't know what Seb Hines was thinking because the, the the pass he was hitting was going to be on the frame of goal. And when you're you're passing back to your goalkeeper, you're never supposed to aim your pass where if the goalkeeper like collapses and just doesn't get to the ball or misses it entirely, it shouldn't roll into the goal. You're taught to do that. And Seb Hines was making a pass that even if he had struck it at the proper pace, it would have been potentially a like a goal anyway if uh, Bendik had just missed the ball. And Which instead, is probably he, why he underhit it. Right, but he underhit it by like 10 yards. <laughs> yes, it was bad. Um, and Buescher was the, the one to pounce on that and set up Saparillo for essentially a tap-in. Uh, Lamar Nagel, we mentioned him earlier, also had a goal... It didn't show up on the score sheet because it was wrongly disallowed for offside, but uh, it, he did, in fact, put the ball into the back of the net. Anything else you guys want to talk about from this one before we take a quick break? Uh, I will note that I thought Luke Misha was better than he had been when he was having to start frequently. Um, yeah. Not that he had... Orlando didn't really attack him that much. He didn't have a lot to do, um, but he also wasn't the problem in the back. Um, even, even after halftime, when United had sort of straight, they straightened a few things out for a little bit. I thought they were a little more organized, but Orlando stepped their play up to sort of overwhelm that. Um, but yeah, I thought he was fine. I don't know that he's going to see any more minutes this year, but, uh, it wouldn't shock me just because of the fact that he's the only person on the team that can truly play left back. Um, 
it wouldn't shock me if he's making the bench in these playoff games. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, he also, he had a couple good moments going forward, too. Uh, yeah, and he, he usually, even even in his worst games, he's provided that. Yeah, where I agree. His ability to pick the right moment to jump into the attack um, is usually good. It's not that he's dribbling past somebody or putting in a brilliant cross or anything like that. He just picks the moment where it's like, okay, this is a good time to go. I'm not going to be tracked. It's going to be pretty straightforward for me, but I'm going to do it. I have to being able to evaluate when it's time to do that is a skill, even though it's not flashy and it's just like, Oh, he just made a run and no big deal. But spotting that moment as a fullback is, is an important thing. And he's, he is good at that. He's been good at that. I mean, he was good at that in college and he's been good at that at the MLS level as well. It's just, you know, some of the other aspects of playing the game where he, he's not quite up to this level. It seems like Mm. anyway, he's probably going to be on the bench and, you know, Hopefully United doesn't have to use him or he, he proves us wrong and wows us if they do. Hopefully the first thing, not the second thing. Yes. We're going to take a quick break before we preview DC United's playoff game against the Montreal impact this Thursday night. So stick around. This is filibuster, the black and red United podcast. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It is time now to talk playoffs. DC United will open playoffs. their twenties. 20- yeah, playoffs. I know. We're talking about playoffs. DC United will open their 2016 playoff slate at RFK this Thursday night, hosting the Montreal Impact at 7:30. That game will be on Unimas, uh, and if you watch it, I strongly recommend. In fact, I urge you. To watch it in Spanish because I highly disagree. Ramsey Sandoval is no, you don't. I, you you have no I love lost for Ramsey Sandoval. I, I I delightfully like the awfulness that is Ramsey Sandoval and uh, his you, British counterpart, whose name I hipster. cannot remember right now. Kevin Costigan. We Keith Costigan. Uh, yeah, sure. I think there's an indication that there will be like a local broadcast as well. Oh, that, that would be um, good. I think I read this... that, but I haven't seen whether it would be nah. uh, News Channel 8 or 
uh, it probably would be News Channel 8 on a weeknight, if we're being honest. But yeah, I don't know that. So double check that. Don't don't come back at me and say, Jason, you said this oh, was going will. to be on oh, News I Channel will. 8. I personally will. Okay, well, if you're not Ben Bromley, uh, then please make sure to double check this Rally information. Rally behind me. Or you could Filibuster read... Filibuster people. Rally behind me. You could read uh, the preview that will be that morning that will yeah, have please, the actual just, TV info that is for real. Please read our website. Black and That's really, Yeah. <laughs> just generally. Just in general. Please I, read I our website. You. Please clap. No. We, so, we are not we are not Jeb. Jeb. Thank you, Ben. Ben. Can I can I can I drag this no. off the rails further? It's a one <laughs> yes, sentence yes, statement. Can. can I stop yes, you? Please okay. Do. Please do. A, fr- a friend of mine was discussing politics with me uh, on a different Slack channel, uh, a friend Slack channel, and he no. mistyped Jeb as Jub, and <laughs> and I feel like he somehow managed to like undercut Jeb Bush's campaign even more by <laughs> with his typo, and now Jub. I cannot escape the idea of Jub. That's it. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. I'm just going to sheepishly say that the Montreal Impact are coming off of a similar season finale to DC United, uh, losing on the road, on turf, just like DC United. They lost three to nothing in New England, though, as opposed to DC United's four to two against uh, Orlando. Jason, what what happened to Montreal in this game? Uh, They rotated a ton of guys out as well. Um, They started, uh, let me see, they started Evan Bush. Lawrence Simon, uh, Ambrose Oyongo, and that was pretty much it as far as their first choice players go. Um, some now some of the guys that started did have played plenty of games. Harry Ship has played plenty of games this year. Um, uh, Michael Salazar, the rookie winger uh, who has troubled United every single time they have faced him, um, he pushed Dominic Oduro to the bench for a while, but has then been pushed back to the bench by Oduro. Um, Moncosu, I don't. Moncosu wasn't starting. They started a, a an academy or a, a homegrown player up front, Anthony Jackson Hamel, who's not. I mean, he'll probably make the bench just because of the whole Didier Drogba thing. Because if Drogba is not on the team and they need a backup forward, Jackson Hamel is pretty much the only player on the team uh, for that job. Um, but yeah, other than that, a lot of a lot of second choice players. Um, you know, guys like Ignacio Piatti wasn't in the starting lineup. Um, Hernan Bernardello wasn't there. He scored the goal at RFK that robbed United of two points, essentially, because United deserved to win that game. Yeah. Um, oh, um, you know, Wandro Lefebvre started at the back instead of Victor Cabrera, but that that specific thing might be something Montreal's looking at because Cabrera does not match up well against United's way of playing. I don't think he matches up well against Patrick Mullins. Um, he's part of the reason that they're just not a very good team at defending through the air. Um, Lefebvre isn't as good as Cabrera overall, but he is a taller, stronger player. He's better in the air. So we could see that that's, that's something that's at least going to be on the table, I would think for Montreal, but yeah, mostly, um, you know, it's not. It wasn't completely like the bottom of the roster playing, but it was a bunch of guys. Basically, they did what Ben Olsen did. Yeah, um, they got some guys minutes that just hadn't played in a while. And it's a big part of why Ben Olsen's risk in Orlando worked. Yeah, uh, why it paid off. He he rested his starters and said, 
basically put the pressure on Montreal to get a result, which anything less than a win for Montreal would mean that DC United was going to host this game and a three, nothing loss later for Montreal. And, and here we are come Thursday. I think the biggest story out of Montreal though, as Ben flails around, like, I don't know the flaily arm man next to a used car dealership. What do you, Ben's just excited to vote Job 2016. <laughs> Job! <laughs> I have no words. Jasper! The biggest story uh, out of Montreal, though, has to be Didier Drogba, I think. Uh, he he walked off the team last week uh, after being told he would be on the bench. He said, if, if I'm not starting, I'd rather not play. Mauro Biello, uh, the coach up there, said, okay, then... You're out of the roster. Uh, that was followed pretty quickly by Joey Saputo in a statement from the team saying, all is well. Uh, basically doing uh, the best Kevin Bacon impression. Yeah. Uh, all is well. All is well. <laughs> and now it seems like that's actually kind of prescient because he obviously was never going to play in New England. But there are reports out of Montreal saying that he has played his last game in an impact jersey. So, Ben... What are the odds that he actually suits up at RFK or is even negative, on a plane? Negative 5,000%. There's no way he's playing. Like, he's definitely not starting. He's but not playing at all. There, there has to be some minute like possibility. Negative, negative 5,000%. I feel like there's at least like a, a WWE wrestling sort of thousand percent i'll let you finish uh jason are you just getting by, excited by for god Bogdan by god that's didier <laughs> music um that kind of thing what um, would his because music it, be would it just be lamar says i feel no i feel like it would be no because he's he's ivorian it would he's be ivorian. some sort of um it would probably be some sort of french language music that i don't know i don't have a long what, what, list what, of french songs what that if I just know. what if just zlatan came on instead of Didier Drogba. Well, I don't Limerald. think that's going to work. He's yeah. busy with other things. Um, that signing would have to be completed very fast. <laughs> what is more important well, than the in MLS fact, Cup the, playoffs? The roster is locked right now. What, so. No, what is more important? Zlatan is MLS Cup playoffs. He could he is, he right, could just overrule he uh, could MLS show roster up and rules. wander onto the field. That's uh, true. I can't discount that. Like Zlatan could show up at RFK and just enter the field of play and I guess someone would tackle him at that point. I mean, come on. Um, would, but, would Jair Marufo prevent Zlatan from entering the field of play and playing I mean, for that's Montreal? That's your strongest no. argument. That is, that is a good point. <laughs> we, yeah, the, the bad news is that Marufo did get this game, which isn't great because there's too many, there's too many bad, bad calls with him uh, in general, specifically against United. Um, I don't think he's biased. He's just bad. Um, oh, as yeah. is the no, case with bad. all MLS referees, none of them are biased against you. They're just bad at refereeing. Well, no, I, I disagree slightly with noted coward Juan Guzman. No, he's not biased against United. He's also failed to give Dogso uh, in other games too. He I, just doesn't believe Dogso is a thing. I'm not willing to give credit to any, any MLS referee to have the wherewith the the, the extreme caginess to uh, doctor a game essentially. Um, there's too many things that can go wrong. I think there's just the, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm in over my head factor. Um, I will say, I, I will say I miss Alex Pruce very much. 
He that was, was a long a, time ago. I know, but yeah. he was a good MLS ref. I really like the idea of MLS refs being the dog memes of the refereeing world. This is fine. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, no, I was going with the, this is fine. As everything is on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm very familiar with that. that I'm explaining, I'm explaining it for our peoples. I think if they've been on the internet, they've seen that one. Yeah. If if they're savvy enough to listen to a podcast, they've probably been exposed to the, this is fine meme. Anyway, I'm specifically referring to the I have no idea what I'm doing, dogs. Oh, I guess I just got screwed by autocorrect. So if you're listening to this Tuesday morning, you'll know why Bahamas uh, appeared in one of our tweets. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious. Um, Montreal was unbeaten in three games uh, right before this loss, but they were winless in the four games before that, and the whole second half of their season seems to be several games unbeaten, several games uh, preceded by several games with without a win and back and forth and back and forth. What what explains their streakiness and does that mean anything for for Thursday? Uh, I mean, a major problem with Montreal is that they're sort of an emotional team in a way that's sort of out of control. Um and I don't think there's any – it's not Moro Biello's fault. I think there's just a ton of emotional players on that roster. And so when they get going, it's great for them. But when things start to go wrong, it's terrible for them. And there's not – real other than Ignacio Piatti, he seems to sort of uh, play well regardless. I think it's no secret that if I was assembling an MLS team, I would I would pretty much move heaven and earth to get Piatti on my team. Um, but yeah, uh, he seems sort of – exempt from the emotional waves that the rest of the players go through. But yeah, the, the rest of the team is all over the place. And so right now with, with Drogba um, likely not playing, likely not even traveling, likely not training. Um, I know um, if you look at the injury report, they've got him listed as day to day with a back injury, which is an awesome, like <laughs> we need to, we need to have some sort of thing to cite when we say that he can't play. Um, but yeah, a lot of their players are just very volatile. And volatile can help can help you in soccer if you get going at the right time. It can hurt you. And right now they appear to be kind of down. Uh, they haven't been in good form lately. The Revs loss. I guess you have to kind of brush it off the same way United lost in Orlando. I will say that the Revs hammered Montreal. Like as much as my, it might feel like DC was outplayed in Orlando. They were a lot closer than the impact were to a win at New England, which was basically just New England attacking Montreal for 90 minutes. Um, and probably they probably should have won by more than they did. Yeah, um, it was no exaggeration. They they hit Woodwork two or three times beyond the three goals that they scored. Right. And Evan Bush also came up with some big saves um, on top of that. So, yeah, it really could have been a blowout there. Um, but, yeah, the main thing is that they just emotionally they aren't they aren't in control of themselves and i think that really messes with their mentality they don't really change what they're trying to do from game to game uh morobello is not a tinkerer um he has a clear idea of how he wants his team to play home and away it's just the players on the roster are all over the place and he doesn't really seem to be able to drag them quickly into getting it together. Um, this isn't a team that pulls it together in a game. They they need 
okay, last week was okay, this week is a little better, and now we're actually informed. They need those like couple steps to get there. Um, so for United, I think it's important to be the uh, stronger team in, in terms of mentality. Mentality is one of those like words in soccer that can mean pretty much anything. It's it's kind of a, a cipher, which we talked about last week. Um, but in this case, it means like having the mental strength to keep it together when something goes against you, when someone kicks you. Montreal's definitely going to be kicking people. Yes. Um, that's not that's not going to uh, you know, this is a team with Marco Donadell and Hassoun Kamara. They are definitely going to leave marks on people. Um, but you know, United has to take that and and be calm afterwards. And if they get in their shots, which they do, um, let's not pretend that United is uh, uh, an innocent team at all. Um, when they get their kicks in and Montreal gets up and is angry, you just have to let them be angry rather than pushing and shoving and getting – just let them be angry and let, uh, in this case, Jair Marufo go go to his pocket. Um, you, you don't want to get caught up in it, though. You want to let them get caught up in it without you getting caught up in it. Channel Same your mentioned. inner Ben, ben Olsen. <laughs> Get in Wells Thompson's face and just scream after scoring the goal. But wait till you score the goal to do it. Yeah. Jason, you mentioned Piatti in this one. He's obviously going to be key. How can DC United handle him? How can they contain him? Uh, well, every time he gets the ball is is a terrible danger. Um, yeah. uh, he's a good the, player. He's, look. Let's be honest, the only reason anyone's going to pick Montreal to win this game is uh, an overwhelming faith in Ignacio Piatti. Um, that's really all they've got going on right now. Um, so you've got to find a way. Piatti's been his best as a left winger uh, for Montreal rather than as a number 10. Um, you've got to find a way to shift the field so that the game is mostly taking place on the other side. Um, Piatti doesn't score a lot of... He scored a ton of goals. He scored like 17 goals d- despite being his team's chief creative force. Um, really, Montreal has no place in the playoffs if Ignacio Piatti isn't a best 11-level player. Um, but if you shift the game to the other side, he doesn't score a lot of backpost goals. Um, he's more of a guy who scores goals based on his own work and combination play on that side. Um, he's not getting into knock-in. He's not like um, Lamar Nagel uh, finishing off things on the goal line. That doesn't. That's not how he scores. Um, so if the game is taking place on the other side of the field, United's probably going to do a good job of keeping Piotti pretty silent. Now, Montreal is going to do everything to swing the ball out to him. Um, every look, every time they get win the ball in midfield, their first look is going to be Piotti. Um, and if they can't bring it to Piotti directly, they're going to look for Oyango pushing up um, to, to join in there. So they're always going to be looking that way. So United's really got to make sure that they divide the field in half, so to speak, and that they make it so that it's very difficult to go into the other half, the vertical half of the field where Piotti is. And if you cut him out... Patrick Mullins is going to have to really do a good job pressuring directionally. Right, and and that's something he's been excellent at, and that's something that um, even even when he first arrived that the coaching staff was, was full of praise for, which of course they were because that's something that they have required from anyone that's going to suit up for them up front. Um, is the defensive work of forcing a team the way you want them to play. Um, and Mullins starts that. Mullins is is the first person that, that does that for United. Um, and the rest of the midfield has to be working in, in concert with him because anytime you're supposed to be directing somebody to play, a, another team to play a certain way, anytime you're trying to pressure, 
if you're not working as a group, you're going to be found out. You're going to be picked apart pretty easily. And Montreal's smart enough where if if the midfield doesn't help Mullins direct that pressure, they're going to pick the open space out, and then they're going to use that open space to find Piotti, and United's going to have a problem. Um, the more touches he gets, the worse it is, basically. Um, so you're, you're really – you're not saying you have to do this to stop Piotti directly. You're saying let's not let him get the ball Um and you know, let's let's cut him out of the game by just making it making somebody else do the work for Montreal. Um the way they've been playing lately, their their first choice midfield is very old, so they're very mm-hmm. slow. It's it's Patrice Bernier, who is thirty-six or thirty-seven at this point. Uh, Marco Donadell and Hernan Bernardello. Bernardello is thirty and he's the young guy in that midfield. Um they are a midfield that United will have an athletic advantage over. Um, which is important. I think they need to make sure they're always in those guys' face because if you're in their face, they're not picking out Piotti. They're just taking whatever the easiest option is. Mm-hmm. And if you're in their face and the right side of the field is doing their job, Piotti is not going to be that first option. And so you sort of reduce his ability to affect the game and all of a sudden you're in business. And, you know, it's also a crucial game. I mean, in soccer, it's always crucial to score first, but um, game states are going to dictate a ton in this game because if you can – get out, get out in front, all of a sudden you can spend that much more on making sure Piotti is not accessible. So someone like Lloyd Sam um, is going to have a lot of defensive responsibilities in this game that he might not normally have, because if United can cut Piotti out of the game and neutralize him, they're, I mean, winning the game is almost a given at that point. It, it, it really is, Piotti is that good, but also Montreal has been that ineffective outside of Piotti uh, for a while now. So let's look at the other side of the field. That's where their burner is, Dominic Oduro. Uh, and that's actually one of the benefits they get to having Piatti on the left is when they shift, when the defense shifts over there, suddenly Oduro, one of the fastest guys in MLS, has all kinds of space to just run into. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to be up against Taylor Kemp, who has really improved his game against, uh, uh, well, his defense against everybody has improved a lot over the last couple of years. Uh, talk a little bit about that matchup and how United can can kind of help Kemp deal with Oduro. What you want Oduro doing is you want him having to think his way through the game. Um, and so if United forces Montreal to have the ball on that side of the field, it means that Oduro isn't going to be sprinting. He's going to have the ball at his feet and he's going to have to figure things out from there. Um, I think Kemp should have no problem with that scenario, um, provided no one's giving – you have to make sure he's not getting an easy combination pass. Um, if Oduro's got the ball, he's going to look for somebody. He's going to play the ball and as a wall pass and just take off. Um, and that means the central midfield and center backs have to be very sharp about making sure that whoever he plays inside to can't then return the ball to him. And uh, um, they're also going to have to look for most likely Hasun Kamara, who – Fortunately for United, when he comes forward, it's never – it seems like he's very hit or miss and choosing when to come forward. Um, there's not a, a very good selection process there from him. When he does get on the ball, though, he does tend to create some danger, um, not necessarily from beating his man on the overlap. He just seems to do well once the ball gets to him. Um, and so Oduro, if he can't go inside, might have Kamara there as a player to play off of and 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 try and run in behind. Um, but what you really want is Oduro having to be the creator rather than the runner. Um, 
if he's having to create for somebody else, you're probably going to be able to solve the problem pretty easily. Uh, but if he is playing off of somebody and somebody's just slotting him in behind, I mean, there's only so much you can do against a guy with his speed. Um, but yeah, you do want him piling up touches um, and spending more time on the ball. A lot of times, you you know, a, a dangerous offensive player, you say, well, you don't want his touches to be high. Oduro usually, if he's effective, it's when he's only getting a couple touches in the attack. He's not a build-up kind of player. He's not a guy that contributes to possession. He's a guy that finishes the attack with either the final ball or the shot. Um, and if United can keep him restricted to being part of the possession game, they're probably going to, you know, the problems they'll have to solve at that point would be pretty simple problems. I will say that if I were Montreal, I would be telling Oduro to cut inside and, and try and run at Boswell, if, if at all possible. Yeah. Um, though, with Oduro's level of speed, it almost doesn't matter. Like, the fact that Boswell's the slowest defender, it, it, Oduro's so much faster than all of them that it's sort of like, why why pick on one guy? But it is that side of the field. He Boswell is the left center back, so Oduro does have access to that. Um but United should be able to restrict him to sticking wide um, by stretching the field out and making Montreal defend uh, all from touchline to touchline. So when they do get the ball, Oduro's already stuck out there. Um, we don't want to let uh, Montreal play a compact game. If United is letting Montreal stay compact in, the, in their formation, which has been a 4-3-3, but I think in this game is going to resemble a, a 4-1-4-1 pretty strongly. I, I think they're going to leave Mancosu by himself and try and play purely counterattacking soccer, um, then I think if United can keep them stretched out, they should be in business. Um, but, you know, the counterattack with Oduro, it's always a worry because it doesn't take a lot. You, you need one little mistake, and he's in behind. Um, one, one small misjudgment of a bouncing ball, you know, the forecast is, I think it's like, what, 50-60% chance of rain at this point? Yeah. Um, we're recording Monday night, but Thursday rain is likely or possible. Um, one little mistouch that squirts away from you, one ball that gets hung up in the wind that you misjudge, and Oduro's speed is that much of a threat that it can turn that into a chance. Um, yeah. It's really big to be for for a central midfield, too. When mm-hmm. when Montreal gets the ball in midfield, they're going to look for Piatti, and if, if United is doing their job and that outlet is not available... Their next look is probably to Oduro, uh, at least if they're they're going down the the read chart. And if he's in space or able to run over the top, they're just going to put it over the top to him and let him run onto it. But, and so being able to not just pressure them direct directionally, but try to force them to play sideways and backwards and have mm-hmm. no space to go over the top in any direction right. is going to be really important for the central and midfield. That, and that's a that's a full team job, but the central yeah. midfield will end up being they'll be the ones that are close enough to the ball that actually influence or prevent that pass. They just that right. the structure around them has to allow them to get close enough to prevent that pass. Um right. but yeah, it, it is Montreal gives you a simple set of choices. You know, they say, okay, you don't want Piotti to get the ball. You're going to have to deal with Oduro, and he's really fast. Um, It's not a complicated set of choices, but it does require a high level of organization. And if your organization breaks down a little bit, you've got a real problem. Either Oduro running in or Piotti will find his way to the ball because Piotti knows that he has to carry that attack. And so he's going to do everything to find the ball. Um, He doesn't just stand out there and hold his arms up and say, why don't you give me the ball, you dummies? Um, 
he's been trying to dra- I mean, he's dragged this team. I, I shouldn't say trying. He has dragged that team into the playoffs. Um, and he's going to try and drag them to a win. Um, and he knows his responsibility. He knows that he has to drag that team to a win, especially now that you they can't call on Drogba to come in and just score a goal out of nothing anymore. Mm-hmm. What else should United fans be be looking for on Thursday night? Uh, I think uh, United's uh, ability to cross the ball uh, for Mullins is going to be important. Um, Montreal's not very good in the air. Mullins should be winning headers inside the box, um, going to goal. Um, Sounds like I, set pieces are going to be a big deal. Yeah, uh, Burnbaum is probably going to be able to win a few headers. I think it'll again be Burnbaum knocking the ball down for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, those are advantages United has, definitely. Um, Evan Bush has been – it's been weird lately watching him because he's been making big saves, but the, he's also coughing up rebounds sometimes that he has – he should be able to control a little better. Um so that's that's maybe something that I mean United could get a cheap goal just on you know Bush not controlling a ball properly and you just get a little tap in at the end. Um, so and that to United's credit they've been really really good at reading opposing mistakes and opposing bad plays at the at the worst moment. Um, that's how they scored their opener in Orlando. They scored uh, against NYCFC from the same thing where it was just a goal that never should have happened, but United was alert and that's why it, it was the mistake turned into a goal. Um, in the, in the midfield, I mean, they are going to have to deal with the fact that if, if United, if Montreal settles in and decides to possess that central midfield, they are able to keep the ball pretty well. Um, if they want to play a possession style, um, if they want to slow the tempo of the game down, Montreal's going to use possession to take the air out of the ball in this game. Um, I don't think they, there's any chance that they want to just play a track meet game at RFK against the current incarnation of DC United. I don't think – I think they're smart enough to be like, that's a terrible matchup. We'll lose that game 5-2 or some some sort of nonsense score. Um, so they don't want that. They are going to be looking for the all the, the all-in counterattack where it's a great chance for them. They want to lull United to sleep. And so the possession game for them is going to be – about keeping the ball and not necessarily for creation purposes. It's just let's make them run for a few minutes and, and take a break. Otherwise, you know, defensively we're taking a break. Um, and if if we happen to, you know, if if United decides to high press too aggressively, then we'll we'll play in over the top and look for that. Um, but mostly Montreal's, I think Montreal's very aware of their limitations right now. Um, so. It's a counterattacking game plan, and possession is only really a defensive thing. It's they're going to have the ball, but they're not going to want anything to happen while they've got it. Um, outside of finding Piotti and saying like, "Why don't you find some sort of magic?" <laughs> and he can. Um, so this is probably a game United can't just rely on one nothing for. Um, they get the lead. I don't think they should just settle for one nothing and try and protect that um, because. Piotti can create a goal out of absolutely nothing because he is some kind of wizard. Um, yeah, hopefully Ben Olsen keeps with this, the ethos of, of recent weeks and months and mm-hmm. goes out there and tries to win the game by a couple of goals. Right. And something that United has been really good at this, actually the whole year, even when they were not very good at getting leads, when they did get a lead, they've been excellent at going out and getting another goal. Um mm-hmm. By, they've been good about late in games when a team comes to RFK and is trying to chase the game. They're really good at getting that other goal. Um, 
fortunately they've got some players who are good at that. Um, Saborio, even though he's slow, it's, it's, it's really kind of counterintuitive that Saborio is so good at that, but he, he uses his experience to be, it's weird because he'll have like, he'll get the ball at midfield and he'll do something smart, but then the play appears to be moving way too fast. It's like, he's gone. He's not going to possibly get back in this thing, but he gets there just in time for like the easy tap in. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is, is, uh, is, he's not, he's not slow. He's exactly the right speed for him. Right. Right. Uh, that's a, um, very mid, it's, it's very charming for someone in their mid thirties. Like I am to see him still like, he makes that pass. You're like, well, I would never be able to catch up to this play. I would be just like, well, I'm sunk. Uh, that's, this is all I can do. And that's why he's an international soccer player. Yeah. He he is a little better than me. Um, (laughs) just marginally. Um, but yeah. Uh, if United gets that lead, they can't just be happy with that lead. They shouldn't look to take the air out of the ball at that point. They really should look to go get the second because I don't think Montreal on the road is is defensively strong enough to keep them from getting the second goal. And you know, people have their irrational fears of two nothing. You know, the the most dangerous league in soccer, but actually two nothing is a very good lead to have. Yes. Um. Uh. From a, a you know a mathematical perspective, you you tend to win games when you take a two nothing lead. Yeah. Um, I think because I think at that point you can be like, okay, fine. Now we're going to sit in. Now we've got two nothing to protect. Now it's easy. Um, The other thing is United is just better when they're on the front foot right now. This current version of United is not very good at back foot play. Right. Not the way the, you know, the four, four, two was under Olsen. Um, This incarnation is just much better at going out and taking the game to people. Right. Or and you if they are absorbing pressure, yeah. they're better at getting forward and always be looking for the counter rather than just booting it long. Right. And and being true to yourself in the playoffs usually pans out for a team. Mm-hmm. It usually gets them as far as they're going to go. Oh, poor Columbus. Be, right. <laughs> they did um, get to MLS Cup. Don't get me wrong. They did get they to did. MLS Cup. They dismantled the Red Bulls on the way. Right. But Which, oh, that first uh, minute, that J- first Jesse, minute, man. Which is maybe the like exhibit A against Jesse Marsh's uh uh the the talk online of Jesse Marsh being a possible Klinsman successor. Exhibit no. A for oh, that. Oh god, is, no. My people the rolling bring it up all my the eyes time. doesn't convey through the microphone, so I had yes. to No, yeah. people people mention that all the time and no. exhibit A is no. he couldn't solve Columbus no. who plays the same way all the time. He was just like, I don't know what to do with this and They played the same what? way since Ziggy Schmidt coached them like no, 17,000 no, Ber- years ago. No, Ber- Berhalter definitely has them playing a different way. Jason, it's, Jason, Jason. <laughs> it's, it's true. I'm not going to... You can say Jason all you want, but Berhalter has them Jason, playing a much different Jason, approach. Jason, Jason. <laughs> that Jesse Marsh should have been prepared for, and he was not. Yes. Anyway, I've, I've taken a roundabout way to take a shot at somebody. Um, this case we're not sure who it was anymore. We're, no, we're, yeah, it was Marsh. We're also taking a shot at Jesse Marsh. Right. And Greg Berhalter and everyone. Ben, anything you want to add on Montreal, D.C., before we get out of here? Lol Drogba. <laughs> Fair. Now, really hope he doesn't come off the bench at RFK. Thank you all for listening this week. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, allegedly soon to be on Google Play. I don't know if that's a thing yet. It's Uh, not. You have to uh, help me make it possible. 
Okay. You, you collectively or like me and Adam? No, you two. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe I'll stop mentioning Google Play until Ben tells us what it is we have to do to help him help us in on that front. Mostly, though, please at the tailgate on Thursday or in the stands or after the game or anytime you find a friend just in the street somewhere. Please have friends. Yes. Number one, please have friends. We worry about you. And number two, tell your friends about us because that's really the best way to spread the word about the show. And we like having more listeners and I'm sure our sponsors do too. Anyway, we will talk to you real soon. Until then, for Ben and Jason, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Salami is the best lunch meat. <laughs> this what? is true.